when you're in the presence of God and you're worshiping, um, it, it, it feels pretty hard to not have hope. So um, the message today is going to be on hope. And if you're not feeling like you're hopeless, if you're not feeling despair in this moment, just tuck it away for another time. So, but, uh, but I'm not feeling very hopeless right now. So um, there's something about when you, when you take your eyes and you turn them up. I was talking with, with Dave about this before church. When you, when you put your focus up, uh, your hope is restored and the things that, that caused you stress and anxiety seem to kind of fall to the wayside. So, but... Now that you're all feeling good, let's think about when we weren't feeling good. <laughs> have you ever felt like crud? Now, I don't mean have, that you felt sick, like you had a bad cold, or that you ate some food from a questionable food truck. I mean, have you ever felt like crud because you had so much anxiety about the possibility of losing a job, maybe, or trying to make a decision about how to choose be- between two options that are going to majorly affect you or maybe your entire family? Have you ever felt cruddy, like there's a weight sitting on your chest because you don't know if you'll be able to live up to a commitment you made or maybe not even live up to your own expectations of yourself? Or maybe you've just felt like crud, um, just sick to your stomach because let's say you you dropped a six-by-six piece of treated lumber on the hood of your dad's new tractor or maybe you dented his truck or maybe you crashed his good car and you just weren't sure how he was going to respond to it. I will say that, that he responded better and better each time. <laughs> but it puts a, you have a knot in your stomach, you know, when these sorts of things in life happen. Life is full of situations and circumstances that can make us feel like crud. There are many different kinds of situations that we face in which we have no power on our own to change them. If we're relying on our own strength, our own resources, and trusting in our own wisdom and desires, life can fill us with fear, with anxiety, and even the feeling of hopelessness. A few weeks ago, I shared a message about the glory of God and how amazing and powerful he is. And last time I talked to you, I talked about how that God of power and glory has a heart of love for us. He has a Father's heart for us and a desire to have an intimate relationship with him. Um, earlier I said that, uh, I said feeling of hopelessness rather than hopelessness because today I want to look at how that God of unlimited power and unlimited love can give us access to unlimited hope and how that hope in Christ is the cure for the common crud. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today uh, asking that you would fill our hearts, that you would uh, fill us with hope, that you would instruct us on how to walk through this life, how to, um, how to, come, how to respond in the face of life's stresses and anxieties and fears, Lord. We pray that you would teach us to turn our eyes to you, to find hope in you, and find strength even when the world around us is shaking, even when things don't calm down, that you are our hope in the middle of it all. We just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Psalms 147.11 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, 
those who put their hope in his unfailing love. Hope is an interesting word in that it seems to take on an entirely different meaning depending on if you're talking about hope in Christ compared to hope in any other thing. Um, It isn't so much that it has a different meaning, it's just there's such a vastness to the degrees of hope based on how strongly we hold on to it and what thing or person we're putting that hope in. Hope can range from a passing wish to an unshakable attribute that can cause the weak to fight to the death against impossible odds. When we hope that our favorite sports team is going to win, and right away in the beginning of the game, they're getting crushed. Uh, We might be disappointed at the end of the game, uh, but life goes on. When we hope that the team is going to win, and it looks like they're going to all through the game into the fourth quarter, they've got in the bag in the last couple minutes, they lose. All of a sudden, it ruins our day, maybe the next day, maybe the whole week for some people. Um, The difference is, is the amount of confidence we had in the outcome. When you really believed it was going to happen, you put your hope in it, and then your hope was let down, your, your, your hope was failed. Um, the difference, um, some, people, some people have so much hope in a game like that that they'll actually bet large amounts of money on it. And as the game goes on and it gets close or maybe they're falling behind, the hope that they had, the confidence they had in their team that allowed them to, to wager that bet is all of a sudden shaken. And now they don't have that hope anymore. That, they have, that hope gives them no confidence. The hope that we have in Jesus is to such an extreme degree that in the midst of a losing battle or even a battle that we appear to have already lost, we are still able to retain our hope because we can trust that the end result and the eternal ramifications of what appears to be a loss will be made a victory to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We are going to read today most of Psalms 33, and actually 42 a little bit later. Um, So if you want to follow along in your Bible or your Bible app, you can turn or tap your way over there. Um, So in Psalms 33, the psalmist beautifully recounts their view of the awesome power of God as well as his amazing love for us and how the understanding of these two things, how they come together to give us a deep trust and hope in God. Um, so we're going to start reading at verse 6. It says, I'm just looking, uh, I think I might have got the, a different translation in my, in my notes, but the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the seas its boundaries and locked the oceans in its vast reservoirs, that the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. The power of God is depicted here, and the psalmist declares, fear the Lord, revere him, let the earth grasp the greatness of God, his power and his authority. In verse 9, it continues, it says, For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all of their schemes. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. 
His intentions can never be shaken. What joy the nations whose what joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. Right now we look at the plans of the nations and the purposes and desires of the people and of the culture, and it is evident that they're in opposition of God. They're in opposition of his plans. The hearts of many are selfish, and they're rejecting God's loving commands. The sad part is is that the freedom that they put their confidence in, that they feel is is giving them hope, um, is carrying them, those plans are temporary. They don't last. It says God will foil their plans and thwart their purposes. God has the only true blueprint for life that can provide the structure in which mankind can thrive. And one day, the plans of man will lead to ruin. But for, for those in Christ, there is hope. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. That's us. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. If we jump ahead uh, and look at verse 11, Peter goes on to call us, he calls us temporary residents and foreigners in this world. We're no longer tied to the failing plans of the nations of the world, but we are part of the plans of God that stand firm forever. And creation has no power to affect the plans of the creator. The psalmist expands on this as we continue in verse 13. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on earth. He made their hearts so he understands everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. The whole, um, all of earth's power is nothing. You remember earlier it said that, that God fits the seas in, in a jar? Like, gives you a picture of kind of the size of God and, the, and, and what it looks like in comparison to earth. Um, if you remember, you know, many of us sang the song, he's got the whole world in his hand. And I just picture that as, you know, God's looking down at earth and man is flexing his muscles of, of money and military might and, and so proud of his technology and his knowledge. And God says to hope in any of that is just vain. It's just silly. Then he says, if you want real hope, I offer it because I love you. If you'll just turn from your ridiculous, prideful hope and put your hopes in me. In verse 18, it goes on to say, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord. When we recognize and hold fast to the guarantee 
for your hope is a, can I go back? Can we go back one more? Or maybe I'll go um, in my translation here. It says, uh, not my translation, I didn't write it, but uh, in the line I have in front of me, um, it talks about how there's a guarantee in God's trust and in, in, in his strength. When we recognize this and we hold fast to the greatness of God and that to his unfailing love for us, the result is unlimited hope. When we tie his love and his power together, we have unlimited hope hope. A couple of months ago, I was at my parents' house, and uh, we were in the backyard, and the kids, the the boys specifically, wanted to get a ladder so that they could reach the first branches of the trees in the backyard because they wanted to climb them. And of course, what the older ones do, the younger one wants to do as well. So I followed Hannah up the ladder and into the tree, and I guided her, and I showed her, you know, where to put her hands and where to put her feet. And uh, she was definitely in a place where she would not have been safe on her own. Um, in case any of you don't know, Hannah's three, so, so she's uh, not, not well equipped in her own strength and ability to be in that predicament. So she was in this place where she wasn't safe, and I, I took one step down the ladder, and all of a sudden she went from enjoying where she was at and standing kind of loose and carefree to focusing on her situation and using her own strength and ability and crouching down and grabbing on tightly to the branches. And she was filled with, with some fear and some worry about her situation. Um, she asked me then if I would step back up the ladder. She wanted me to stay close, and she knew that as long as I was close to her, she was safe. She was fine. You see, I have a couple of years of throwing her up in the air and catching her or laying on the floor and she jumps and, and I catch her or she wants to climb up on a step stool and wants to jump to me or she climbs up on a chair and wants to jump to me or sometimes she'll climb a ladder and she'll want to jump to me. And so through this experience that we've had, through this relationship we've built, she believes that I'm strong enough and I love her enough that I will keep her safe, that I will catch her. She trusts me and she has hope in my abilities and confidence in a place that would otherwise give her fear, she has peace and joy. Sometimes we find ourselves in a scary or overwhelming situation, and we may respond to the situation with slight worry or even paralyzing fear if we find, if we find ourselves dwelling on our own strength and our own abilities and our own resources. It's not that God is not there, but it's that we have at least temporarily misplaced our hope and our trust. There's an example uh, of this in Psalms 42, and and we're going to try and walk through this whole chapter. So if you'd like to turn to Psalms 42, you can. This psalm was written by the sons of Korah, and it depicts the writers in a place, I don't know if it's writers or writer, it says it's written by the sons of Korah, but I don't know if one of them wrote it or if all of them wrote it together. But, uh, but it depicts them in a place where they feel separate from God. They are both, physic- both physically separated and spiritually they feel separated. They're, they're long distance from Jerusalem where the temple is, and, uh, and they feel weighed down by the circumstances around them. They've found themselves in a place of despair, but they remember 
that they used to have a joyful hope. They used to feel close to God, and they seek to feel that again. Psalms 42, verse 1 starts, As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food. Well, my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? Can you relate? Can you relate to that? Have, have any of you ever been in this place where you felt alone? Uh, I know I've been there. Um, I may not have had people taunting me, asking me, where is your God? But whether it be Satan's lies or be my own insecurities and doubts, I've had times where I felt alone and it had me feeling like crud. Verse 4 continues to say, my heart is breaking. Sounds kind of cruddy, right? (laughs) My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked along the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. The psalmist here confronts his despair. Um, It's painful. It, It kind of puts an emphasis on the distance between where he is right now and where he was at one point. It seems to, to, to make his heartache even a little bit greater. But even though coming face to face with this, this um, contrasting, these contrasting situations, it also redirects his focus from the problem to the one who's always been capable of solving the problem. He remembers in the past when he had his eyes on God. Maybe like the psalmist, you remember a time when the Spirit of God filled you with so much joy during a time of praise that that you long for that. Or maybe you remember when you first came to Christ and he first changed your heart and he, um, when he saved you. Or maybe you remember times in the past when you needed him to catch you and he proved himself strong and full of love. We only need to remember that God is still faithful. He didn't walk down the ladder. He's still right there next to you. Um, continuing at verse 6, says, Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan. From the land of Mount Mazar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas. Now, I don't know that I fully understand all the, the um, poetic meaning of these phrases, but at minimum, it seems to be a recognition of God's power when you talk about the raging seas and the power of the, of the, the tides. We see that, uh, that God, he's again connecting God's power with God's unfailing love. Uh, when we look um, at the next verse here, in verse 8 it says, but each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God, who gives me life. 
O God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. It said, their taunts will break my bones. They will scoff, where is your God? And we see that at that point, it seemed that he, um, it seemed earlier that he was regaining his hope. He was saying, I'm going to put my hope in God. I'm going to trust in him. Um, but then he puts his eyes back on his problems, and again, he feels discouraged. And so he has to speak to himself again, saying, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my God and my Savior. It feels like he is saying, what is wrong with me? Why do I feel like crud? Snap out of it. Why am I choosing to look at my problems in light of my own weaknesses? Come on, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him. I will remember God is my savior, my God. He says, my. There's a relationship there. And we have an even greater one in that the spirit of God lives inside of us. He is my God. He is a close God. He has an intimate relationship with us. We can hope because God is faithful. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us, in verse 21, is God who enables us along with you to stand firm in Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. God guarantees everything he has promised. And we see throughout the Bible um, how God has come through for those who put their hope in him, his, their hope in his promises. And we're going to walk through quickly some of these examples. We're going to start with Abraham. Abraham was told he was, <clears throat> Abraham was told he was to have a son when he and his wife were way beyond childbearing years. But Romans 4.18 says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of nations. Why? For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you'll have. God said it, so he hoped for it. He paced not a passing wish, but a confident hope, knowing that God was going to do what he said. When that came to pass and he was asked to sacrifice his son, he had hope that his son would not die because he trusted in God's promises about his son. God said to sacrifice him, but he knew that through his son were going to come many nations. So may not have made sense to him, but he had hope that God would not allow his son to die. Daniel, when he was told he could not pray under penalty of death, 
had hope in the Lord and continued to pray and trust that God was in control. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to worship an idol or be thrown into a furnace. And on penalty of um, be thrown into a furnace. But in hope in God, they responded in Daniel 3.16. They said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace for the God whom we serve, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Their hope was so great that they saw God as no less powerful, no less in control, whether they lived or died. They recognized that there was hope in God's promises beyond death. David was hunted by Saul. I don't know if you can imagine. He was hunted for 15 years. I don't know if I realized that in the past. But it says Saul was hunting him for 15 years, a king, with all the resources of a king. And yet he refused to take matters into his own hand and kill Saul. Instead, um, he endured the constant attempts on his life and and watching Saul grow more and more wicked. Um, But he endured it by putting his hope in God, trusting that God would fulfill his promises. When David was ambushed, oh, actually, we're going to look at Psalms 52. Um, In the middle of all this, David wrote, but I am like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. I will always trust in God's unfailing love. I will praise you forever, O God, for what you have done. I will trust in your good name in the presence of your faithful people. When David was ambushed, Uh, by Saul's soldiers, he says in Psalms 59, but as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love, for you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I'm in distress. My strength to you I sing praises, for you, O God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. He had hope in the midst of all this, like, always wondering, always questioning who's, you may be, you know, you might hear a noise at night and wonder, is Saul after me? It has to be in the back of your mind, but he put his hope in God. He had his trust that God had a plan for him and he was safe. He'd have to be safe because God's word said that he was to be king. Nehemiah, um, actually Esther, we're going to start with Esther. Esther was a commoner. She gets brought as a commoner to become all the way up to becoming a queen. She's living this, this like dream fairy tale life where she's gone from rags to riches and enjoying life in a palace. And then all of a sudden before her is put this circumstance where she has to decide whether she's going to try and continue to live in this comfort that she's, that's fallen, fallen in her lap or whether she's going to risk her life to save the nation of Israel from annihilations, uh, annihilation. But she put her hope in God, and by prayer and fasting, she was given enough strength to stand up under it and to act boldly to save her people. Nehemiah, when his heart was broken at the report of the distress of his people and at this, the, the, the condition of Jerusalem, he prayed and he recited the promises of God for his people. 
Um, he, he looked at the promises that said that, that his people would be restored in the land that God had chosen for them as a dwelling. And, uh, and in that prayer, in that remembrance, he was able to draw hope from fear. Um, he was able to have the strength to go before the king of Persia and ask for help. And when he was uh, in front of the king of Persia, he says, um, it says that Nehemiah had never been sad in the presence of the king before. And when the king confronted him on this, it says he became dreadfully afraid. That's I'm very afraid. That's, that's a severe case of the crud there. He is dreadfully afraid. And when the king asked him, what do you request? Now, now he just has a minute here, not even a minute. He's supposed to be responding, but I can imagine he's paralyzed with fear. This, it's not common for somebody in his position to be making requests to the king, especially personal ones that, that have to do with, with his desires instead of the king's desires. And so he's filled with fear. And in that moment, it says, it says that he prays. It says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I'm, I'm imagining that this must just have been a short, God, uh, short prayer saying, God, give me strength. And in that prayer, in that redirecting of his focus from his fear to his God, he was able to speak boldly before the king and ask him for help for his nation and for his people and for Jerusalem. Paul and Silas, when unjustly imprisoned, showed that they would not let their hope be shaken, even when they had no power or hope on their own to rescue themselves from their situation. And they didn't allow that to stop them from singing. Acts 16, verse 23 says, they were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they did not escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. They were only able to do this because they were filled with a hope in God that was unshakable. In many of these stories, we see that those who put their hope in God were not just filled with joy and boldness, but they were also saved from harm. But this was not always the case. Many of those who experienced strength and boldness and hope through God suffered. And they even, some of them, even died violent deaths, still holding fast to the hope that they had in, have in Christ. The story of Stephen is one example of this. How even facing death, his hope gave him boldness to proclaim the gospel before the Jewish leaders. And even more amazingly, after they drug him out to stone him, and he was being stoned. His hope endured to the end and enabled him to, to look to Jesus in the middle of that and say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And in the end, his hope in God and in God's kingdom was so great that he, he was able to focus not on his will and his wishes, but on God's kingdom to desire. And he prays, Lord, don't charge this sin against them. God offers us unlimited hope. That story displays the kind of peace that surpasses understanding that we often talk about. That kind of hope comes 
It only comes from truly trusting God's promises. God's word is is the unshakable footing from which we can face the craziness of this world without letting a bad case of crud limit what God might want to do in the middle of those circumstances. So what do we do when we feel hopeless? We remember that the mighty God of the universe is also our loving Father. He's right there next to us. And his unfailing promises have been given to us in the Bible as a powerful tool to speak hope into despair and calm into calamity. He reminds us who is in control and that he loves us very much. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Over the last couple of years, we've heard a lot about variants. Um, Today, we're going to look at four variants of the crud and the biblical prescriptions to cure it. Uh, When you pair saving faith in Jesus along with the promises and the word of God, it becomes the antidote to the crud that can sometimes limit us and paralyze us um, from experiencing peace and joy and being able to fulfill God's command and commission for us. Uh, Variant one that we're going to look at is anxiety. Has anybody ever felt anxious? I think we've all felt anxious that time. Um, We're going to look at anxious about providing Okay, so um, the New King James Version of Philippians uh, 4.19, it says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, so you remember in verse, uh, in uh, Psalms in 42, the psalmists, uh, they seem to, to get some, some hope, and then, and then they looked back on the problem and a little bit of despair, and they went back and they, they spoke again who God was, and they received hope again. Uh, the same thing can be true with God's word. When we take it as a medicine, when we take it as, a, as an antidote, sometimes it helps for us to read it over and over again, to really allow it to penetrate and take it in and make it part of who we are, not just words on a page, but the truth of God Im- implemented in our lives to impact us. Um, One way, uh, one way I've heard of, of doing this where you repeat a verse is to take, take it and, and look at different pieces and emphasize different pieces as, pieces as you go through it over and over again. So we're going to do that one time uh, with this verse in Philippians 4.19. It might look something like this. It says, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God, who is my God the God of all power and glory, the everlasting God, the unfailing God, the God of unfailing love and unlimited resources. That's my God. And my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He shall supply. He will provide. He will deliver to me. He will fill me with what? What is he going to fill me with? All of your need, all of my need, What is my need? Whatever I'm lacking, whether it be provisions, whether it be hope, whether it be peace, whether it be strength, whether it be direction, whatever it is, he will provide all your need according to his riches and glory. God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He's not limited in any way. His resources know no end. His riches 
are ample. He's able to supply. There is no lack. Every time he gives, there's no decrease from where he started from. That is the riches and glory of our God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glories by Christ Jesus. All of this, this is delivered to me through a relationship in Jesus, through the redemptive work of Jesus. Because I've been cleansed and redeemed and been made a child of God, God will, by his riches and glories, glory, provide all that I need. Isn't that powerful? Just when we take that and we, and we, we dive into it and we absorb all that there is in there, what God, God's promise, what God's word can speak to our situation. I don't have time to apply that to all of the rest of the variants, but um, we're going we're gonna to take a look at, at three other situations. Um, number two, stressed about making a decision. Psalms 37, 23 through 24 is a promise of God. It says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by his hand. The Lord cares. He delights in the details of our lives. He cares about the decisions that you have to make. And God will direct you. If you're walking in, with, your, with your face facing towards him, when you're walking in relationship with him, he's going to direct you. And if you should make a wrong choice, if you should stumble, he says you'll never fall. The Lord will hold you by his right hand. It's, it's okay. We sometimes will make wrong choices, but we don't have to be afraid God will not let us fall. He will hold us. He's right there with us. Um, the third one, you're stressed about sin in your life being found out. You know, we face a lot of different kinds of stress. Um, sometimes we worry about things that we're holding inside, and it can be paralyzing. It can make you uh, feel distant from God, that, that, that all that... that uh, description that we saw in those psalms about, about feeling alone. Um, when, you, when you have something hidden in your life, um, it can cause a lot of stress. But 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. We have hope in Jesus. When we have hope in our relationship with Jesus, that Jesus is our identity, and he says he'll cleanse us and our identity is in him, it doesn't matter what the rest of the world thinks. It doesn't matter if the rest of the world knows because our hope is in Jesus. And he says that if we confess our sins to him, he'll cleanse us. And in his eyes, we'll take on his righteousness. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. We have hope that we'll be healed, that when we speak these things out loud, when we no longer hide our faults, concerned with our pride, that our pride is going to be shaken, pride, that we're, we're too prideful to let people know that we've stumbled, um, when we let go of that and we confess, now all of a sudden it, that power of guilt and shame that held on to us, that tied our stomach in knots, has no more power. God gives us hope that we will be healed if we just use his word and obey what it says. Variant four, fear of death. Nothing is too big for God, not even death. Second Corinthians 5.1 says, 
For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. It continues in verse 3 through 5. It says, We will put on heavenly bodies. These dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this as a guarantee he has given us his Holy Spirit. We have hope that, that even as our bodies die, we're going to be swallowed up into life. Seems, seems like a strange thing so that, to be swallowed up into life. We're, we're almost removed from a life that isn't as full into a life that is even more full. And this is just a taste of the unlimited hope that is found in God and in his promises, in his unlimited glory and his unlimited love. We all experience times in life when things get tough and we feel like crud, but that doesn't mean that we have to stay there. Shift your focus from your problems to God. Turn your head from here to here. Sometimes we can take that problem and put it right here. Can't see anything else. If we look up, we find that we have hope in God's kingdom promises. Amen. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our hope is not in our des- that our desires would be done, but that his desires would be done. We can't hope in God for our will to be done. Our hope in God is solid because it's in promises that he's made and his promises never fail. Hebrews 12, 27 through 29 says, this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only the unshakable things will remain. And since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe for our God is a devouring fire. When we hope in his kingdom come, there is no shaking. We're in situations every day that if we stare into them too hard, we'll lose sight of the fact that they are un- his promises are unshaking. We'll, we'll find ourselves um, looking at these, these injustices of the world, the sickness, the hate, the perversion, the idolatry, the blindness. We look at all the chaos and craziness of the world and it can make us fear if that is where our hope is. But God's plans are not shaken and his promises are secure. When we have our footing on God's kingdom promises, we are unshakable. So if you find yourself feeling like there's knots in your stomach or your heart is beating hard or you have tightness in your chest because of some variant of the crud, say to yourself, why do I feel like crud? The Lord is my God. I will put my hope in him. Amen? Amen. May you all be filled with the confident hope that can only be found in Jesus and be cured from the common crud.